Hello. Hello. Oh, hello. I like that we're, we should do a screenshot every day because I like that we never seem to be in the same room. This is a, this is a great angle to. So it's a little bit tricky right now because Elkie's in bed, but um, singing the following song. So, and he was still asking for more, but I had to cut him off because I had to go. <laughs> so, I don't know. And he's still, and he's still, wow, futzing around. So, we might as well just get into it because right. I don't know how long I have. Okay. <laughs> it's like, I got a ticking time bomb up there. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, how are you? You had a show Good. last night. I did have a show last night. Um, happy? It, yeah, it went well. It was, uh, it was nice. Um, yeah, I, I was like, I don't want to discourage people from coming to the Rhubarb Show. Um, but I, I like doing the shows at the Monarch. Oh. Which I don't think is, I think I can, I, like as a, perf- and that's actually as a performer, which is interesting. Hmm. Um, and I think I can take some of that as values and like that just are about switching where I'm sitting or where I'm, where I'm performing from at rhubarb, I think might help that. So rhubarb is at the buddy space as at the buddy space and where I, where I tried from last time. I just, I wasn't, I wasn't in the audience and I think I was, I we were trying, it's hard because we're doing this thing because it's a radio show where I go between, I'm sort of in my head uncertain about whether I'm hosting for the room or hosting for the radio. Mm-hmm. And I think those are different and I want them to sound different because one of the things that drives me crazy about live shows on CBC is the amount of yelling that they do. Uh, but I think that yelling has to do that energy level, they're not actually yelling, has to do with dealing with a live crowd. And mm-hmm. so what may end up happening with, with Fun Palace for me is that I just re-record all that stuff. That I re- the hosty stuff. The hosty stuff so that I re-record introducing performers. Because the way, like, they're like, and here's Adrian Wong, give a big round of big hand for Adrian Wong. That sort of stuff, I don't like listening to it on the radio very much. Um, right. They cut that stuff out of the moth. Right. And, and so, um, and what do they do on this American life for their live shows? I haven't listened to one lately. They don't do that. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know quite on the introduction level there. I mean, those shows are so much bigger that, and the audience is so enthusiastic already and knows his voice already so much. Um, I mean, he's, he's a little bit brighter, I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, like he's a little more sparky, but, but because the audience is so familiar with his radio voice that at least for me, like I want him to be in radio mode and I will, I will rise to match it. But he also has a particular voice in the sense that and this is partly the compression that they do 
Like it's he's a little nasally. Yeah. And you have a deeper voice. Right. You're more chesty. Oh, do you want to hear my, the other mic to hear the difference and tell me? Yeah, I'm. I'm not looking. I'm looking out okay. the window. So. So this is this is normal. This is. Oh, hold on. I'm going to put of both of my earphones on. Okay, I'm ready. And then this is probably much louder, so I'll talk quieter. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the mic the actors use when mm-hmm. when we do shows. It's them. definitely richer. Yeah. Yeah. Give me. Can you give me the normal one again? So this is. One of the problems with this one is I have to, the gain is cranked up. I need to get a little gain booster on it. This is the Shure 7B. Uh-huh. Michael Jackson did record Thriller on it. So, you know, it's, it's nothing. not nothing. It's not nothing. And then this is the AT. Yeah, this one captures more of the um, uh, frequency, like the whatever. Undertones, overtones, right. overtones. Um, I think you should use this one for the podcasts. Too. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Means I have to buy one. Well, how about just for this podcast? Okay. Every so often he goes... Oh, and he also unplugged the video, the camera for his monitor, so I can't even keep an eye on him. So the good news is, is he's making noise, which means he hasn't strangled himself with the cable. Right. And also that maybe he has a little uh, subversive anti-surveillance streak in him. Yeah, which which is good. good Yeah, Yeah, ultimately. Well, I was interested about that uh, HowlRound article you sent about technology in in theater. And in the comments, what I found so interesting was the, uh, I don't want a machine telling Mm -hmm. me where people are looking. I want to use my instinct. But uh, it felt like there was a real generational divide in that that article to me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that. I don't think I want. I don't necessarily want people wearing Fitbits. So the article is basically saying there's all this ways now that we can track the data of people doing things. So I like I have a Fitbit. So a Fitbit is a device you put on your arm and it tracks how many steps you take. And so you can try to hit your 10,000 in your day and, and it tracks your sleep and can tell you when you're restless and when you wake up. And, and there's this whole... Uh, What's it called? The the quantified self movement, which is all mm-hmm. about getting the data on on what we actually do with our lives and then being able to make better choices based on data rather than like, oh, I think I'm getting plenty of sleep. And then you mm. look at your stats and you're like, oh, wow, I am so I toss and turn from 3 a.m. until 5 a.m. every morning. What's that about? Or mm-hmm. or actually I. You know, I I don't get to bed. I think I get to bed by 11 every day, but actually mm-hmm, <laughs> I'm not asleep mm-hmm. until one. And so this article was saying, why, why couldn't we use that in, in the theater to have a sense of when, when people are getting excited because you can do stuff around heart rate and, and lots of sort of different ways you could track, track different pieces of information. 
Mm-hmm. Biofeedback. Biofeedback. And my issue isn't like, oh, I want to know as a performer, like I'm going to trust my instinct, is that part of what the quantified self does is that when I'm wearing my Fitbit, I walk more because mm-hmm. I'm being, because I'm monitoring myself, right? The, the right. basic sort of Heisenberg physics, people work harder when you pay attention to them stuff all kicks in and that's part of what it's for right you're usually trying to quantify not like how many bags of chips can i eat but how many days in a row can i go without eating chips and part of it is that you're getting feedback and so you're working harder to do it and so i worry about audience like i you know being surveilled changes how you interact well it makes me curious like just kind of taking on that idea of I mean, if I was an audience member and I knew that my reactions were, my emotional response to the show was being surveilled, would I then have more of one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, would I pay closer attention knowing that somebody somewhere is tracking this information? In some ways, it's um, it appeals to my my good student, the good student part of me that sure. wants to be have my work validated or or accounted for um and i find that uh i find that kind of uh interesting that question i mean that's how i would use the the article is actually to as to to conduct some experiments on that um it sounds like it sounds like it could be a show all those questions rather than a way of of uh, making shows or assessing shows, but actually like that question of try the trying to be better that we're all kind of engaged in as humans. If we surveil ourselves, will we be better? Right. And how does that, and how, you know, I think that that's a really interesting question because it kind of says that we're, we, we're, we're uh, not, really trustable to be left to our own devices. (laughs) Right. Well, there's the, the stuff, there's lots of stuff around like our, we plan so much. We are so much better. There's like the morning self and the evening self. Like I'm not, I'm not going to just sit around and watch TV tonight. He, I say in the morning and then Mm -hmm. the evening, like I, like I can't, I am unreliable. I'm an unreliable narrator to my own life and I'm an unreliable goal setter. Like I, I have way better visions of myself than I'm able to execute. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, so I can be like, Oh, I, you know, I, you know, and we, and I do it so often it's justifying some behavior, you know, Oh, well, tomorrow I'm going to do X. Like I'm always a better person tomorrow than I am today. Yeah. Cause unfortunately I do the same thing. And I think I can remember from the time I was a teenager, planning a fitness regime like and i'll go to the gym every two days and i'll you know like you do it once mm-hmm. and you think oh actually this is really great i feel good and i'll just you know you kind of even work it into your day have i ever done that not really hmm. surveillance surveillance and I'll and research in. Surveillance so while I understand like the idea of focus groups and all that stuff is kind of deadly 
to an artist, I think using the idea of the group dynamic as part of your intention. Right. I mean, shouldn't that always be part of our concern? Sure. I don't, I don't think it will give anybody reliable data. That's all. Like, I think it will give you potentially interesting data, but, uh, you know, if you make it, if you say, this is an option, if you want to wear this wristband during the show, then you're going to get data on people who want to wear wristbands. How about, how much is a Fitbit? hundred bucks. And does it, does it relay time in real time or relay data in real time? Does um, it have a, a um, is it connected to anything or do you have to connect Yeah, so it you after? can Bluetooth. It connects during Bluetooth. Um, I'm not sure if they have an API. It wouldn't, the, the hundred buck one wouldn't be the one because it doesn't, it doesn't do enough biofeedback. Like it really is just doing a certain kind of swinging motion and then height stuff. Like mm-hmm. it's just telling you how many steps you're taking. It's not actually reading your pulse. It's got a gyroscope or something. Yeah, but there are ones and they probably have Bluetooth. I don't know if they have APIs or like ways that you could use the, use them to hack with. I'm sure, I'm sure there are people doing such things in the technology sector Mm -hmm. Um, and even the technology art sector. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But, um... I mean, this just going back to this energetic thing, like that must be why you prefer one room over another for mm-hmm. Fun Palace. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I can, and, you know, and I know the things about jamming the audience together and we did that and that's about energy and being closer to them and and having how the bar is laid out and how that room is laid out. All of that stuff is, is certainly about the energy. It's It's a more casual energy at the bar than it is at the theater. I feel more like the lights don't change except for the funny bit where I turn the lights out to interview someone. But that's like, you see me go over to where all the lights are in the bar and turn them off. And it's always a little bit of a mystery. Although not really. Or, you know, it's become less of a mystery over time. I think about what, what works and what doesn't. Oh, I may just have to take a break here and see if there's because sometimes there's a reason hello hello hi how was that as i suspected and or we could just start complaining about globe and mail articles well, let's save let's save okay. that for the end. Um, yeah, interviewing. I think that's a. Um, I I enjoyed that article as kind of the, your basics basics towards interview technique kind of article, and one of the things that was my favorite was about was uh, don't talk about yourself, <laughs> like oh yeah, um, which is you know, a nice general rule to remember in conversations. Um, So again, uh, for the clarity, for the clarity of our explicit listeners, 
we're talking about a article called Interviewing Humans, which is on a list apart, which is a design blog, basically design blog magazine thing that also does events. Mm-hmm. And Erica Hall, who is a design researcher, she's co-runs a company called Mule Design in San Francisco. And one of the things that Mule does, along with have a podcast network, actually, is that they talk a lot about the amount of research required for design and and so try to get designers to think more about interviewing. So it's a sort of it's a bit of a one oh one on if you're interviewing somebody because you have a big design project with their firm or they're the users of the big design project, how do you go about getting useful information that isn't just like, what do you want? What colors what colors would you like your website to be? It does make me think think um, you're the third collaborator who's brought forward this idea of, of research-based design or in another t- context, design-based thinking. And then the third is this idea of inclusive design. Mm-hmm. But all three of all three of you collaborators who I will name, oh, maybe this is a contest, um, <laughs> all three of you are bringing forward these ideas. And what I'm seeing is that they are all the same idea with different names. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is, you know, essentially if you have an idea and you can name it something, then you can trademark it, then you can market the selling and teaching of that idea. Yeah. What I like about these three iterations of the same idea is that it places the user at the center of the experience. Um, So you're observing the person who's ultimately going to be engaging with the work or engaging with the object and, and seeing what they do, how they do it uh, in order to be able to uh, meet those needs or, or anticipate those needs and meet those needs even before they know that they're needed. The other thing I like about this, the overlap of design and 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 theater or art making is that is the idea of the prototype and creating prototypes and creating um, different iterations so that you can work out the bugs and you and I have talked about that mm-hmm. before. The third thing I like is the notion that this is something Dustin and I talk Dustin Harvey and I talk about is putting all the ideas out there actually everybody who's sure. bringing this thinking forward putting all the ideas out there and not being precious about them and not uh, editing them because it may not be the idea but it might get you to the idea might be the stepping stone to the idea that you want to get to eventually that you want to discover um, which is so freeing so, and then the fourth thing I like about it is that it's not really that different from what you do as a creation-based artist, yeah. right? So it's just another, it's another vocabulary to uh, reinforce a practice that is based on like trial and error as much as anything else. Uh, yeah, that's, absolutely. That's I all. think the, I think the value, and again, we've talked about it, is the value that feels a bit different is that it's, it's a way of, of focusing on the user which in our case i guess is the audience member is the person in in the public who's watching it and and i like thinking again stuff we've we've covered a little bit but i like thinking about those people rather than me as the user 
as a director who, or as a creator who wants to see something, who has mm-hmm. an image of, of, of something working. Of course, that's involved. I'm certainly one of the users. I'm one of the stakeholders. I mean, and, and you know, and it's, it is, it's all this language and, and sometimes I don't like adopting it. And then sometimes I don't care. And, <laughs> um, I move between those, those spaces of, of, of taking on, you know, that, that an audience isn't a user, like people aren't users, but we are people who use things. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's just internet or technology speak for the intended audience. Right. And, yeah. and I don't know, I guess we, we've talked about this too. We could get caught up in semantics or we could just agree that they're ultimately, you know, two years ago, even even a year ago, we wouldn't be talking about the user. We'd be caught talking about the consumer of the product right. and people would be like, it's not a product, it's art. Yeah. So, and I'm much happier talking about users than I am consumers mm-hmm. or customers. You know. Patrons. Patrons. Um, but even that, I mean, the, you know, people who come, I mean, there's, you know, whatever, there's, there's two groups of people, one who probably paid and one who maybe got paid and one of the groups knows what's going to happen. One of the groups doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. How do those two groups meet? I mean, that's, and how do we design it so that they have an interesting time when they meet again? Mm-hmm. And how do we then ask them, find out, like, did they have an interesting time? Like, what is the, what is the measure beyond like, well, they clapped and I talked to a few people after, you know, how do I evaluate what happened last night in a useful way? Well, see, this would be a great <clears throat> opportunity to have a guest if we had a guest right. to have um, Dustin Harvey in because he's got a whole thing that he's doing with audience surveys. Right. I don't know. Has he talked to you about it? Um, no. Well, I don't want to, I don't, it's not my story to tell. So I don't want right. to say very much about it, but maybe we could, we could think about, about having other people on the show. All right. <laughs> if you feel like we're ready, I don't want to rush you. Um, he's online. Oh. Do you think you could patch him in? Let's see. Let's just try. That's a terrible photo. <laughs> Who is that? What is that? I don't know, but I'm taking a screenshot of it. Yeah. So uh, for anyone listening to the SWS podcast, we will post this crazy photo of our friend Dustin Harvey. It's is not it him. him. It's not him. Because it looks like a girl in drag, which is not actually how Dustin looks at all. No. Well, here's an excellent example. Um, for Family Day at the NAC this year, there was a, a group of artists uh, from Toronto who are doing a... Um, some baby theater. They're making theater for babies, which, you know, we've talked about is, is the next big thing. Uh, After the, the German post-traumatic structure uh, is the Norwegian (laughs) baby theater. Um, Although I guess it's big in Scotland too. And so that is really interesting because the intended audience for the piece is of course, babies Mm -hmm. um, of, but you also have their caregivers, at least one caregiver, if not three, in the room who are adults. So as I was observing the show, there's a part of me that feels like there's a lot of, ooh, 
right. happening with balls and flowers yeah. and stuff like that. And I think, what? But then when I observe the audience, the babies are wrapped. Right. Where did you lose me? Am uh, I here? The audience was wrapped. You are now here and back. Okay. And I'm, I meant wrapped like <clears throat> yes. at attention, not, not in Saran. In, exactly. Yeah. So it, it did make me think about those the discussion we had last week about the, what the audience wants and what the audience needs because that audience, the babies were getting what they wanted, which is stimulation. And they're getting like something that is capturing their attention. And at the same time, I was wondering if it was possible to do that in a way that is, I don't know, that, that is in service of an aesthetic idea too. Mm -hmm. So that it's not just about uh, that reptilian brain, right? That is connected to, oh, there's a, a tiger, you know, something right. moved. So that was some, one of the things where I thought, oh, yeah, in this case, I would feel if I was making theater for babies, um, I would know what my audience wanted, which is to be attuned to something but then I would also have something that I felt like they needed which is this larger aesthetic engagement which may or may not be lost on them but maybe is not lost on their parents right it's not lost on their parents it and and what they may need is the social experience rather than you know that's part social experience it's other kids and you know like there's there's lots of stuff that is good about getting the baby out of the house and mm -hmm. good for the parents when i did when i did i worked at the children's library in halifax in high school and did puppet shows did the mm -hmm. saturday saturday morning puppet shows and you know as a performer my it was it was beneficial for me to make them go as long as possible because it I was avoiding like working the desk or shelving books by doing puppet shows. Yep. Um, and so it was, it was a pleasure and we figured out really, you know, not, not talking about it very much. Cause it, it's amazing that these worked at all. Cause we, I mean, they were good at hiring, like I think theater students and then just saying like, okay, you go behind, here's the outline of the script. Yeah. And you know, these are the scenes that have to happen for Cinderella to happen. Yeah. And here are the puppets that we have, these very stock, you know, hand puppets. And and there's some rules about, you know, not talking, you know, only talking back to the puppets when they talk to you. And, you know, please take your parents out of the room if they start crying. Uh, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and other than that, we were given license to improvise. Yeah. which is why they could get long. Uh, but we also knew how roughly how frequently a chase scene was required uh -huh. in order to sort of re-up the kid's attention. Yeah, right. And we also knew how many jokes that would be entirely over the head of the kids, but make it make the parents not mind being there for a 45 minute puppet show right. <laughs> that that was advertised at 20 minutes. Right. Like, so we could, as long as we could do, as long as we could balance those things, we were, we were in the sweet spot of keeping the kids entertained and focused 
keeping the parents entertained and focused and keeping ourselves out of out of checking out books that sounds like a very delicate balance it was it was but and it it uh it was a lot of fun we were all and we were i wasn't so much because i was younger but there were a lot of very hungover people behind that puppet wall because <laughs> i know often that was a bit of a problem <laughs> stinky yeah this is because it was like you know it's one of the first things we do in the morning go in do the puppet show 40 minute puppet show <laughs> 40 minute puppet show um i don't think not many of them were 40 minutes but some of them were um, well they do say that kids as young as like nine months can um empathize like they recognize characters and they prefer the character who's nice right yeah although they give up they give up like little red riding hood every time to the wolf do they oh yeah but to bring it back to um the technique uh mm -hmm. article i think the biggest reason that that those technologies aren't in, are aren't um applied to theater is financial yeah <laughs> like that's so he's like why don't we use it like well we can't afford to the stakes are not so high that we need to like the right. amount of money that they put into movies they need to make it back yeah and so they're engineering that storytelling um which is what a human would do if he was or she was telling a story to a circle a campfire right you know in in the place where you can see everybody yep. even in small theaters like you can really track where pe when people are paying attention when they're not you just know yeah and i bet i you know bill i went instantly to bill cosby um because of his <laughs> have you seen comedian the jerry seinfeld no film? i haven't but oh, i just love i think so that the good. title of this one should be called i went immediately to bill cosby <laughs> um it's comedian is a great film um mm -hmm. i'm not a huge jerry seinfeld fan but it's a great movie about him giving up his he he threw out all of his old material after the show he did one last tour with his old material and then he threw it all out. And it's a, uh -huh. it's a documentary that follows him as he's building back up to a one hour show and then to a two hour show. Right on. And it's great. And it's amazingly interesting how much they're, you know, it's him in a booth with Chris Rock being like, yeah, that joke didn't land. And, you know, oh yeah, if you'd waited a beat, like the way that they're talking about their craft. Yeah, uh, you know, and he's he's going into these clubs at like midnight, going like, "Hey, can I get ten minutes?" And the bartender, the the club owners are like, "Yes, yes, Jerry Seinfeld, you can get, you can get some time." Um, <laughs> but there's an amazing conversation between him and Bill Cosby. Mm -hmm. One of which is Bill Cosby saying like, "I ah, yeah, I don't I don't like doing, I like doing intimate houses." And so I do two shows a day in a 5,000-seater because I don't like 10,000-seaters. What? And, and I love that, like, the intimate is is 5,000. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Um, But they talk, you know, and so in there, like, he's like, I can understand what the crowd, if the crowd is wanting. Like, I can understand. I can read the audience. Mm -hmm. But that's, I mean, certainly part of my what I liked about the Monarch last night is I had a much clearer sense of how people were 
my connection with the audience was much closer and I could see them and I could hear them and, and I could host and say, you know, so again, I'm saying the weird balance between being on the radio and being live is, is moving a bit towards the live for me, at least where I'm, where I, you know, if I'm bombing, you know, part of my term or part of my performance persona is that if I'm bombing, I can comment on it and we can get a laugh out of that and we can move on. Like it's, it's about, it's about that back and forth and, and me knowing it. Mm -hmm. And when I don't have that connection as a performer, then I'm, then I am very sort of confused. The feedback loop. The feedback loop. And they come back to something else we were talking about last week that the, you know, somebody said to me yesterday that you used to be able to see really great burlesque, but you can't see great burlesque anymore because people can't afford to make a living as burlesque dancers. So right. they don't get, they, you reach a certain point right. in your craft. Mm-hmm. And I think the same would apply to us. Yeah, and I think Taylor Mack, uh, great burlesque and theater performer, mm-hmm. drag performer, um, talked about it when I saw him in Vancouver at an artist talk, just about how little theater performers perform. Yeah. And how that's different for, and that's part of the reason that he went into cabaret and was working in bars so much is because you could just perform more. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, it's, it's turned me into someone who's always talking about time on deck, like just the time on deck is important and, and all, and why I think actors come back from TYA tours better. Yeah. Because they've had time on deck. They've, they've had the experience of just doing it over and over again. And that is helpful. Um, and, you know, I think there certainly, of course, can be bad patterns that got entrenched or stuff like that can happen. But to get good at the thing that you're good at, just doing it over and over again. And, and, and so potentially there's this thing of we're getting good at rehearsing, or we're getting good at developing a play, but we're not necessarily getting good at performing the play. Mm-hmm. The thing that I would rather get good at is performing because that's what the thing that I feel like I do. I don't, I'm not, I'm not in theater because I like the rehearsal process. Uh, and that's not true for everyone. I, you know, I think there are, there are people I know and work with who would be thrilled to not have to perform, hmm. um, to only rehearse that the performing is the moment of compromise and, and the research ends and it's, Hmm. Be, changes who who the process is for, but I'm I'm not that person. Hmm. Um, I I want I want as much audience as frequently as possible. As much as it like ties me up in knots and screws with my head, I I also it's also the thing that I'm interested in doing, which I don't think also was always true. I think that stuff maybe changes. Oh, well, and it should change otherwise. Uh, I just think it should change as you, as your practice changes, you know, what your, where your focus is at and what you're looking to do. I know for me, I don't really feel like performing at all because I feel like my whole day is performance right? Uh, for an audience of one. Right. And 
uh, and it's really exciting. You know, I'm animating any number of objects. Yeah. My puppetry skills are getting better and better. Okay. Um, I think my voice, my vocal work is getting better and better because yeah. I have a number of characters that I <laughs> portray regularly. Yeah. But I also have to use my voice to, you know, make somebody sleepy or bored or stop doing something immediately. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I do, I feel like I use my acting training every day, but I really don't feel like doing that for anybody other than my kid right now because it's just I'm too tired. Right. I mean, and that will change, I hope. Um, but speaking of change, Jacob, yeah. and anyone who's still listening to the SWS podcast <laughs> with Jacob and Adrian, um, I want to talk about these uh, changes to the Canada Council's sure. theater budgets. And in particular, an article written by Kate Taylor and published February 7th in the Globe and Mail called Why the Canada Council's Theatre Budget Decision Has Some Companies Crying Foul. Yep. Um, which starts with a really um, evocative <clears throat> metaphor about um, basically a starving community. <laughs> yeah. And who would you give food for food to the old people or the young people? Mm. And I also recognize that operating funding is very important and core stable core stability is very important. But I just found the um, that metaphor very uh, oh, facile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Will we get letters? I think we should just try for letters. Now. Try for letters. I mean, the you know, <laughs> what what seems less interesting about why this is a frustrating thing to talk about is that it's not letters that I'm worried about. Uh, it's blacklisting. Like that's the the struggle with talking about this stuff isn't even like oh we're going to get letters from our peers. It's that somebody at the Globe and Mail is going to stop, is going to say, you know, those um, small wooden shoe people, the they're small assholes. Wooden shoe people. Um, I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, why, I don't know why, I mean, I sort of know why Kelly was off sick um, or, or on medical leave, as he was tweeting about. I don't think I'm revealing anything un no, unbeknownst. No, I think he was fairly transparent he about why. He was fairly transparent about why he was taking a couple of weeks off work. Uh, um, that was, okay, but let's just sorry. get back yeah, to the article. Sorry. And your fear of uh, censorship or repercussion, yeah, because, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about in this podcast is trying to, and part of the reason this podcast exists is trying to have some kind of open uh, critical dialogue about our work and our workplace. Yep. And so, you know what, I have to say that I made a mistake by uh, bringing attention to that opening paragraph, because if that's our objective then it behooves me to uh, skip over the petty complaints that yeah. I have and to get right down to the meat, the larger complaint that, that I yeah. have. Um, so I apologize. That was me setting us off on a bad, bad, right. bad foot. Um, reset. <laughs> reset to reset. be complaining I about I think it's good to, um, to have some uh, real moment of... <laughs> realization but it is theater after all yep so so let's just go back to the article 
And I think that the larger question or, or, or how do you even call it a false syllogism? And I could be using that wrong is this um, playing of the old versus the young. And that, a, that feels, that feels false. I don't know. I don't feels, know what a syllogism is. Yeah. I'm yeah. probably using it wrong. To me, it feels like a, um, she's setting up a, a relationship. Uh, she's simplifying a relationship within Canada's theater, like national theater community. That is, that is more complex than that. Right. It's not, and and she alludes to it even in the article when she talks about the new companies coming onto operating are not even the young companies that they're companies that have been around for ten or fifteen years. So even within her own research on the com- on the community, the research shows that it's not about old companies and young companies. Um, that it's about companies who have a body of work. Uh, a relationship to a community and who are uh, deserving of operating core funding and core support in order to continue to build and grow. Yeah. That's one thing. Do you mm-hmm. have anything to say to that? Um, I think that's true. I, I think there is, I think there is generational conflict and I think that might be okay to talk about and and maybe should be talked about more sometimes mm-hmm. about what that means and and so I well well it's true that this operating funding hasn't meant that or these changes haven't meant that suddenly companies who you know formed last year out of theater school you know, Atomic Vaudeville and Vertigo have been around for a long time, and Vertigo has been through more than one AD. Like they're they're established things. You know, Craig is our generation. And yeah, but we're not young. We're not. I know, and that's <laughs> tell me about it. We used to be, we're not and we're still. You know, whatever. We still. You know, we could get the emerging directors awards. I mean, we live in a world that's crazy like that. I shouldn't be able to. I mean, I, you know, eight grand. No, you. I don't. Really helpful, I would. But yeah, sorry. I would. I would not consider you eligible for that prize. Yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> it's all right. So going back, I do think it's not quite a false thing to say that there's no there's a generational conflict. I don't think what has happened with the Canada Council has been about resolving that. No, and I actually don't. I mean, I I I, I recognize that there there is a, a generational conflict, as there is in all things. Yep. But I think that the heart, at the very heart of the changes, what I see as the heart of the changes, is um, the fact that theater is um, from the time that the Canada Council was established and the notion of operating funding was established, that theater has actually become a more viable. Uh, uh, business practice, for lack of a better word. So there are an increasing number of companies. And for instance, Vertigo Theatre in Calgary is not dependent on grant support, which just speaks to the viability of that as a business Mm -hmm. plan, right? Or that's my understanding of that company. So 
so since so since the establishment of these these grants, the establishment of the council, there's more companies. And so if the job of the Canada Council is to provide or assist these organizations and these artists with core funding in order to increase and broaden the dissemination range and and better the artistic excellence of work and artistic workers in Canada, then it and the budget is not changing. So how do we start to juggle around the resource? And it has to be juggled around. It absolutely has to be juggled around because there's not going to be a cap on the number of companies that exist. There will continue to be more companies. So, But they should all just join together into one company and then that one company should, should be under the, the kind patronizing umbrella of some established company. Maybe. You talk as someone who lives in a city that has gone through amalgamation in a really successful way. Yeah, no, it's true. Amalgamation <laughs> has has worked perfectly. Yeah, there's been Toronto. no problems whatsoever. No, I see none. And everybody's really happy, and the quality of everything is. Oh yeah, easy. my my snow clearing is better than ever. Right. So we're being sarcastic. <laughs> This is an email. I think they know. <laughs> it's the benefit of podcasting is that benefit. tone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I, so, but what you're describing is definitely an option, right? Right. And it and it's certainly something that I've tossed around with with colleagues in Vancouver. Sure. Like, what if we all became one company? Mm-hmm. Like, what is the what what are the pros and cons of that? How would we have to address the funders in order to be able to keep as much money as we can? Yep. You know, um, and and it is it is a, a conversation in Vancouver because there's a number of small companies that are around the same size that have very very similar mandates. Absolutely, and I think and I do, and I've also and I've talked about it in the past as something that I believe in. And DVXT and Theater Front just did it in Toronto to sort of older indie companies with very similar mandates and or not enough production activity between the two of them to be two companies, honestly. And so they, they've joined. And I think there's, you know, I think I feel like factory and Passamurai could share administration. I don't see meaningful difference or meaningful function in having two different theater companies in that neighborhood. They could probably share buildings. I'm just trying to get letters now. Yeah, so I'm not against companies amalgamating. I'm often, I don't necessarily think it needs to be the young companies. I think young companies will, there will be companies that stop being companies. Like that's, and that's fine. You know, um, but then there are people that stick with it under under a name and I don't I don't want to lose the twelve years of for whatever it's worth and, and who knows, but I don't want to lose the twelve years that I've been working under Small Wooden Shoe and and the the articulation of what theater can do that I've been working on under that name. I don't want to lose that because a job comes up at Passamurai or at X theater and I go apply for that job and I get it. And then I'm suddenly stuck on their mandate and I've been hired by a board in a very different way. Mm -hmm. 
nor do I want to be entirely dependent on another on other companies to support my work. I've been I've been quite lucky in Toronto. Not lucky, but uh, I've developed relationships and and shows have been developed in collaboration with larger companies. Mm-hmm. And I believe in that, but it's also there comes a point where I don't where potentially and arguably we've put in the work and the labor to to want to be able to be independent from that even that I don't that being at rhubarb is great and I like that audience and I like that space and I believe in that space but I don't at the end of the day want the fun palace to be housed at buddies like I want it to be something that is separate from that and and I don't know if I'm going off 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 the rails here I, well, yeah. What I understand you saying is that, you know, autonomy is important. And I, I agree. I think autonomy for artists is important. The artists need to be able to make decisions about their work, where it's going to be, how it's going to be presented in order to be an artist, right? Like um, some there and there's different kinds of artists. There are artists who can, can go into an organization and work within a, an organization or an institution that already has a mandate and still make that their own and, yep. and serve that mandate and have that mandate serve them. And there are other artists who can't do that, which is, you know, like who need to have more of a, I don't know, like a, a deeper, more personal connection to what the mandate is, what the mission is, like the actual um, implementation of those things yeah. uh, and, the, and the generation of those ideas, how those ideas are come to be. But I don't think that just because it's not a comfortable place for you and your company that it should be discounted, this idea of amalgamation. No. And I, and I also think that, the, that uh, an option that's often not talked about is the idea of closing, closing the company, um, although it was certainly talked about in Vancouver. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and um, – where, if if you will remember, the Vancouver oh, yes. Playhouse uh, uh, f- folded, yeah. um, and the the reason why I still and I still support the changes at the operating uh, the operating policy at Canada Council, partly it's to uh, allow for uh, change, but also. The second reason that I am in support of it is because it keeps people accountable. It is the Fitbit. It's all coming together, Jacob. It's, it's amazing. It is the Fitbit. The juries, the assessment committees should be the Fitbits. They are the ones who are saying, are you doing what you said you were doing? And we have all sat on those committees where we as a group have said, no, they're not doing what they said they were doing. And last time they said they were doing this and they're still not, and they didn't do it last time either. And we said, you better do it. You better do it. And it's like, again, with my child rearing, it's like raising a kid. And, you you know, eventually the kid figures out that you're not serious. You're not serious with the, with the threat. So, you know, I'm sorry to use such strong language threat, but these, this policy allows the assessment committees to be active and useful. 
because otherwise the I think my sense was that those guys are going those guys and gals mm-hmm. sitting around a table they're spending hours 50 hours reading things and not and a they, small amount of money and not spending money getting money they're getting some money no, the Canada Council is spending not a small amount of no, money no Canada Council on, getting a lot of money on a jury on a jury bringing people in paying them reading fees that you know are they need low. to be paid yeah um feeding them sandwiches uh and the assessment committee is coming up with really smart feedback and coming coming back with you know recommendations and then they revealed how much money there is and then they reveal the ranking and nothing really changes so you know, are we just wasting that money? And I would say, yeah, if nothing's really changing, then we're going through the motions and you know how I feel about jumping through hoops. Mm-hmm. And I think the and I think the Canada Council, I think they knew that. And, and, and I do, I also agree on the accountability. I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm a little, I think the cuts are too small to be yeah. meaningful. They were supposed um, to be ten percent. They were supposed to be ten percent, and then magically they weren't. And that magic was, you know, I would it's assume lobbying. Yes, it's lobbying, and it's lobbying from the people who have the resources, by which I mean the time and human resources, to lobby, which are it's operating lobbying, companies. It's lobbying. I mean, we didn't lobby. No, but it's lobbying by the people who have connections to the people who are sitting on the Canada Council board, right? So that's not small wooden shoe. Let's just no. put it that way. <laughs> no. Um, and I mean, I do way more of it not lobbying in different directions um, than lots of people, especially yeah. people my scale. Like I do a lot more talking to officers and telling them, how I think, what I need, and not even what I need, because I think some of the time, you know, I'm not, it's, it is also a problem that if we're all lobbying for the good of ourselves, as opposed to the sector. Yeah. Like there's stuff that the sector needs that I'll never use. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that I don't, I can't see the need in the sector. Totally. And, and admit, you know, this is, and this is my problem with, you know, again, I've, I've, at various times currently I'm being supported by Canadian stage, but, and I don't, and they wouldn't be a company that I would cut. There were a lot of cuts that came out of that round that I disagree with. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they've been made public, so I don't, I don't know how I feel about saying them, but. Well, it'll but, be in the final report, which should be public right. by now, but. Um, but so Canadian yes. stage is in the article. So Canadian stage is in the article. Uh, Neptune, Neptune should have been taken off Canada Council funding in the nineties. They take that take no, like they were, they were, they had a youth program that would like devise little plays, and that's what they were reporting as their new play development. They were a commercial theater house, so, and they were yeah. and they were reclassifying their ushers as unskilled labor, so they could pay them below minimum wage. Right. And they were paying terribly and giving 10 days. A uh, studio show had 10 days rehearsal until they hit an audience. Right. They should have been cut entirely. Right. And, and those so, are unprofessional practices. Those are unprofessional practices, and they're not what a regional theater is supposed to be doing. 
If they want to be a commercial house, knock your effing socks off. Ooh, effing. Um, And then go to the city for the kind of, or go to government for the kind of business support that governments give to business all the time, right? So there's not an oil company in this country that isn't getting millions of dollars in tax credits and all that jazz. So, I mean, this change of policy is supposed to address that. Yeah. And it did. Yep. A bit. A bit. A little. Well, it did to the maximum that it could. Yeah. You know, it's really hard to have this discussion in a way that feels fair because I feel like you and I mostly agree. Right. (laughs) Which is that, that, and because we are at a particular place in the ecology, you know, for a writer, for a writer to say, you know, the company's, uh, this large sale company is experiencing this 8% cut, which means they're going to be hiring, hiring fewer artists is, um, is likely true, but it's also, uh, well, they're choosing what to spend their money on. They're choosing what to spend their money on. Everybody chooses what they spend their money on. And, and, and we're all have to get smarter and more resourceful than we already are about how we get it. Oh, you're breaking up about us being smarter. It's hard to tell because I'm breaking up. But basically, I'm just saying we have to be smarter than we already are yeah. in how we how we do our business. And uh, what, it, what I don't like, I guess, like at the heart of it, what I don't like about this article is that it, it I feel hello hello what uh what is it that you don't like about about this article at the very heart of it i feel like the article is bad for our community our national community because it reinforces a poverty mentality so it reinforces the competitiveness the the um it's you or me us against them uh way of doing business that I think undermines what our great strength is as theater makers, which is our ability to collaborate and work together. Yeah. And, you know, that's the way people write for, I can remember having this conversation with you in university. That's the way people write for newspapers because it's this or that it's black or white. And yep. it, and it's more dramatic to write that way. Absolutely. And it's better for, I mean, it's why you know, I sent you that, like the blog post that I'll probably not post, mm-hmm. um, you know, why I didn't want to give the globe more hits, like why I don't like talking about it. Cause it's, I think there's a, a mentality in journalism, especially now mm-hmm. where it, the, for the globe to piss off the theater community is probably the best way of getting the nominal number of hits that they're going to get on their theater section. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't entirely want to reward them. Oh, if you say something stupid, we'll all get up in arms and we'll all click on your link. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. And 
Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's too bad. And that's the media environment that we're in. Yeah. You know, and we're trying to do the same thing in some ways. But, you know, when I say Neptune should have been cut, although, you know, I really believe that, you know, except it, you know, I don't, it's, it's also this, I also have this voice that I forget where from is like, oh, no, no bread, no bread or soup for them. Then like, I don't mm-hmm. want to, you know, I mean, it's not about like, oh, this, these people shouldn't have jobs. No. And I always say that it's, it's, this is all very confusing for me because I believe in a guaranteed minimum income. I know. I know. And so I don't, so any of these things that are about like, oh, but how do I feed my kids? I'm like, yeah. I don't think feeding your kids should be an issue of whether or not you're running a theater company. I think that should be the I fact that we live in an incredibly wealthy country if that wealth were differently distributed. Yeah. And so that should be a given. And so that level of scarcity and poverty thinking shouldn't be there. My place of disagreement or something, and it's, you know, I sent a note saying, what what's the difference between complaining and being angry because as much as I'm, you know, all, you know, we don't, we're not independent theater companies. We're interdependent and we need to be doing things together and all of that. I think I've been a big proponent of that for a long time and, and I believe in it, but then there are people and practices that I'm angry about and I think need to be called out, need to be changed. Mm-hmm. And I'm feeling like sitting around and, and just doing the Kumbaya stuff isn't going to help either. Like it, it hasn't been helping in it and it, and is my desire to be a play well with others actually just supporting the status quo because I'm not, I'm not saying, you know what? No, I am against theater company acts i am i am diametrically opposed to what they're doing yeah and and that is clear because that means audience also it's clear for audience members like if they were if you were bored at that theater company show so was i yeah and so i'm going to make something that's different well i mean I think we should save that topic. Like, I think that yeah. this is a, I think this is a great question because now we're getting to the heart of the conversation, which is like, how do we air dissatisfaction? However, I feel like we've reached our time. All and right. Also, my Elkie just woke up again. So okay. <laughs> that's a very good reason. So we should sign off, sign, should sign off, off. Yep. the SWS podcast. I suppose uh, people can find show notes mm-hmm. um, a couple of places. They can find them both at smallwoodenshoe.org slash SWS podcast. And that has all the episodes. You can listen to back ones. We are on the iTunes. Um, if people wanted to give us fancy ratings, that's how people get more listening. Um, yeah. I just, I hear other podcasts tell people that. So we can tell them that and, and recommend and tell people about the show and email us. I'm at Jacob at smallwoodenshoe. Dot org. I'm at um, Adrian, A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E, at newworldtheater.com, and that's New World with only one W. And you can also find the uh, show notes at spiderwebshow.ca. Click on Experiments and follow the links. Nice. Um, and we blog using hashtag SWS podcast. So if you... Tweet. Oh, what did I say? You said blog. Yeah. It's a micro blog. 
pardon, pardon my microblogging platform. Um, and on that note, have a great week. Yeah, you too. I'll talk to you soon. Say hi to Elky. I will. <laughs> All right, bye. 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 Da do da do da do da do da.